return of the midweeks. My friends, we are back in the book of Samuel. Have I mentioned, I'm just loving doing this. I love God's word. I love thinking through it. I love sharing it with you if there's anybody out there actually listening. But I just love this. I'm learning so much and I hope you're learning a lot too. Learning about God, learning about ourselves, learning about our family history. If you're a Christian, this is your family history. The Bible is your, the, the history of your people. Um, scripture says that if you believe in Jesus, you've become a child of Abraham. And this is the story of the children of Abraham. By faith, we are adopted into the, the family of the man of faith, Abraham. So this is our family history. It's ancient history, it's from a long time ago, and it's from a different way of walking with God through the old covenants, but this is us, this is our story, and we're learning about human hearts, this is how people live, this is how people respond to things, and we can probably see ourselves in so many of these situations, but it's, most of all, it's so good to learn about God through the book of Samuel. So we're in chapter 16, you might remember at the end of last chapter, God has definitively rejected Saul's kingship, not meaning that he's no longer king, but that his line, his sons, won't take over the throne afterwards, which is even kind of a gracious response to Saul. God doesn't just destroy him immediately, and he doesn't plunge the kingdom into civil war um, immediately, though that does happen later. What he does do is he informs Saul that he's been rejected as king, And Saul's going to live out the rest of his life being king, but Saul's not going to do a good job of being godly or faithful at all in this complicated situation he's got himself into. Now, in chapter 16, we are going to move to the finding and anointing of David, King David, who is really the central point of the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. The story of Samuel from the beginning, the story of Saul's rise and fall is really... Uh, culminating and leading towards the appearance and kingship of David, and especially the promise that God gives David that one of his sons would sit on the throne of Israel forever. The messianic covenant that is made with David is the centerpiece of these books, and the reason why these books exist or have been captured and have so much detail in them is that that promise that one of David's sons would reign over Israel forever is the messianic promise that the people of God have waited for to be fulfilled until the coming of Christ, who is this true son of David, who sits on the throne not only of Israel, but of all the world and all the universe, and has been the, is the true king. Anyhow, I'm off subject. We're going to look at the anointing of David here, and so I'm just going to read and I'll make comments along the way, and may the Holy Spirit just guide our reflections together. Verse 1 of chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. So a few things going on here. Um, Samuel is grieving over what happened. Um, Samuel did love Saul and did care about him. But God is saying, okay, it's time to stop grieving and to get on with things. And I think it's fascinating where the Lord says, I provided for myself a king among his sons. Remember, the first king was the people coming and saying, we want a king just like all the nations. And God's saying, well, I'll give you that, but it's not going to be great. 
now God is going to redeem the kingship. And he goes and says, I'm going to provide for myself a king. This isn't the people demanding a king. This is me giving myself a king. This is a gift to myself, and this is a gift to my own purposes for my people in the world. I'm going to go get myself a king. And he is amongst the sons of Jesse. Now, interestingly, we aren't told, and Samuel isn't told who it is. And so you have this play here where Samuel is a prophet, and he knows God's thoughts as God reveals it to him. But God has decided in this story to conceal what he's doing. So we are like Samuel. We don't really know what's going on, and we get to know as much as Samuel knew. He gets told to go and visit Jesse, and that's all Samuel knows. And so God is maintaining his sovereignty and his omniscience here, and he is leading Samuel, but Samuel doesn't know what's happening except one step by next. Verse 2, And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Now, Samuel rightly says that, um, that Saul will probably try to kill me if I go. Saul has gone kind of crazy. He's super insecure. He's power mad. And Saul will actually end up committing more atrocities because of his jealousy personally and for the kingship as time goes on. So Samuel's right. This is a true estimation of Saul. Now, interestingly, the last story was about Saul's unwillingness to kill somebody, but it was Agag. And now Samuel's quite convinced that Saul would be willing to kill him. So Saul is so upside down because of his unbelief and his jealousy and his insecurity that he's the kind of person who won't kill the enemies of God, but will kill the people of God. Not good. Also interesting that the Lord doesn't say, well, I'll strike Saul down or I'll arrest him. He actually gives Samuel a cover story. He teaches him to use subterfuge. He gives him an excuse and an alibi. And so it's just interesting that that's God's response. He doesn't do something supernatural. He says, well, tell this half-truth. Tell this story. Say, I've come for a sacrifice and I'll do the work of anointing a king under the cover story of coming for the sacrifice. So something interesting to think about. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Okay, so he comes to the city of Bethlehem. And the elders are afraid. They know something's up. And I'm guessing they're not so much afraid of Samuel as they they all know that Samuel and Saul have had a big blowout. And so they're worried maybe that Saul is going to raise up an army against Sam, Samuel or Samuel against Saul. They're maybe they're worried about something, but they know that tensions are high and this is a volatile situation. They probably know like Samuel that anybody who stands against Saul right now is going to get their head chopped off. And so they're worried about this. And so Samuel employs the cover story of just coming for a worship time. So everyone's going to consecrate themselves and we're going to have a meal together under the guise of sacrifice and worship. Verse 6, And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Sorry, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. 
And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are, are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for he will not sit down until he comes here. For we will not sit down until he comes here. Okay, so this is great. Um, you've got so much going on here. So they have this meal together and we, we kind of have this moment where the sons are being presented to Samuel and God wants to teach Samuel and us a lesson. And I think I said this before, but there's also this echo to the original call of Samuel. Remember in the original call when Samuel's just a little kid serving before the, the Lord in the tabernacle, the Lord's calling him and Samuel doesn't understand that it's the Lord calling. And there's this like three calling psycho followed by the one where Samuel actually understands that this is the Lord speaking. And it highlights um, human, human need for understanding who God is. Even when the Lord calls Samuel with his own voice, Samuel didn't understand what was going on until he had teaching and grace to understand what God was doing. Here we have a similar thing. We have this repetition of it not being the person that Samuel's looking for and Samuel be needing to be taught afresh how to understand God's ways. And the teaching is here. Do not look on, the, on his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. So that's an interesting phrase. Like maybe he did evaluate him, but it could just be as simple as I haven't chosen him, but we've got the rejection word again. For the Lord sees not as man sees Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, you remember when Saul was chosen for the people, everyone was amazed by his outward appearance because he stood a head taller than everybody else. He was Israel's giant, and he's taller than everybody, so people are really stoked about that. But in this situation, God's saying, don't look on the outward appearance. You need to know that I look on the heart. I'm not looking at people the way other people do. I look on the heart, and this the implication being is I'm choosing the person who has the heart I want, not the appearance that will impress, but the heart that will do the best, the heart that I want. And so Samuel's having to learn this afresh. Because remember when this started, Samuel's still grieving over Saul, this giant he anointed to be the king, who turned out to be a pagan king instead of a believing king. So Samuel's getting a correction. Israel's getting a correction. We're getting a correction because we tend to be impressed by outward stuff too, whether it's looks clothing, the sound of a ministry, the size of a church, we get impressed by the outward stuff and God isn't. He only looks on the heart. And so for ourselves, we can bring ourselves and say, oh God, how's my heart really doing? And oh God, give me a true heart. It's just the heart. It's just what, what we're really like and what's really going on inside of us that God cares about. So that you have these sons, these three sons named who are not chosen and then there's seven but the other four are skipped over because um this isn't a story about seven and then finding the last one as the eighth it's three rejections and then the last one so that it parallels more with samuel's calling now when david comes this is how it happens verse 12 and see david hasn't been named yet there's this suspense about who it is it hasn't been named yet and here it is Verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. 
and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now, this is really interesting. I'm just looking here. It doesn't look like David is named before this moment. So, here we are. We are really linked with Samuel's um, experience of this situation here because we don't know David's name the same way that God has withheld the name. And we didn't even know that there was this eighth one not here. And when Samuel, when David shows up, we don't hear his name first. He's not named first. Instead, we get this, we do actually get the outward appearance. In verse 12, he was brought in and he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. This is Samuel taking David in. And it's really interesting because we're told not to look on the outward appearance. And so you might assume right off the bat that David's going to be this like golem like uh, troglodyte. But he's not. He is actually still a handsome guy. But we've been taught not to put our trust in the outward appearance. So even though David is um, handsome and has beautiful eyes, whatever that means, maybe it means good eyes or what, what ruddy. Some people mean that he has like red hair or something like that. I'm not sure. I could go do some deeper stuff in there, but I, I'm not sure it matters that much exactly what he looks like. But we are experiencing this through Samuel's eyes, so to speak. So we see David. He's actually this handsome young guy. And the Lord speaks to Samuel, speaks to us, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And now, even though David does have a pleasing appearance, we're depending on the word of God to have revealed this. So now Samuel responds to the word of the Lord and anoints him with oil in the midst of his brothers. And then it says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So interestingly, in this story at least, oh man, forgive me if I'm getting it wrong, but it seems like David is only named as the one upon whom the spirit is rushing. We don't even know his name until we have the oil coming down his head and the spirits upon him, and then he is named as David. So this is a, maybe the ordering even has to just do with emphasizing the chosenness of David as God's anointed. The anointing comes on him before we even know his name. The spirit comes on him before we even know his name. And so at least in this story, we, he isn't named I don't think he's named anywhere before here. This is just so fascinating. And so what we can take away from this is that we too, as believers in the son of David, are meant to actually identify ourselves with being anointed by God, being chosen by God, before we're even worried about our name. And we're supposed to be identifying ourselves and grateful for the fact the spirit of the Lord is in our life before we're even concerned about our name, because the true king of Israel is presented as chosen, anointed, and spirit-led before he even gets a name in the book. This is awesome stuff. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So he goes back home. He anoints and leads. Now, this this little scene ends here of us being introduced to David as the chosen one um, who is anointed and spirit-filled and destined to be king. And also kind of like there's a bit of a comparison because when we meet David, he's busy caring for the sheep. Remember when we met Saul, Saul is busy wandering around for lost donkeys and that there's something a bit symbolic about that because the first king was chosen to come and really chase after a lost people. And he doesn't really find them. Remember, Saul doesn't find the donkeys and he doesn't actually bring Israel back to true worship in the Lord. But now here we have David 
And what's he doing when God comes to anoint him? He is keeping the sheep. He's being a faithful shepherd. And for people in the ancient Near East, their kings were often called shepherds because they cared for the flock. Just the same way a shepherd cared for the flock, the kings were seen as doing a shepherding role. And so we meet David being a faithful shepherd. He's the anointed one. He's the spirit-filled one. And his, by the way, his name is David. Now, this leads to another scene that has to do with spirits, the spirit on Saul and the spirit on David. And so let's read through this as well. This is bonus section. Now, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So you can see we've shifted scenes. We're no longer with Samuel. We, that scene's ended with Samuel going home. But now, we're, now we move to Saul. And that whole phrase about David being introduced as the one the spirit is rushing on now we're learning that the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. And so in the Old Testament, when you had kings like this with the Spirit, it often had to do with the ability to lead people well to God, the ability to have victory in battle and to lead God's people. And because of Saul's unbelief, the Spirit of the Lord is departing from Saul to bring that kind of blessing there. And instead, he's getting a spirit which is a harmful spirit, and it's from the Lord, quote unquote. And we can debate how from the Lord is it? Is this an angel? Is this a demon? Whatever it is. But the, the author of the book has faith to tell us the truth that it is by God's design, at least, but at least by his permission, at least by his design, whatever kind of spirit it is. And it's not there to bring blessing and empowerment for success. It's actually there as a punishment for Saul's unbelief and to even hasten his demise somewhat. This is similar to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart when Moses was leading the people out of Egypt and God was hardening his heart in order to hasten the destruction of Egypt and to lead God's people out. We have this similar, similar thing, not exactly the same at all, but similar where there's an anointing on this new leader who's come to really rescue God's people and the old leader who's been ruling over people, his demise is being hastened by, by an activity from the Lord. Now, what happens when Saul starts getting tormented from this harmful spirit is Saul's servants, in great, verse 15 it says, Saul's servants said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. So the people around Saul can see what's going on. Very often Saul's servants are way more in tune with what's going on than Saul is because Saul's pride uh, inhibits him from actually walking with God. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit is from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So they have this theology of like peaceful music, uh, probably worship music as well, being something to soothe from these attacks from the harmful spirit. So again, faithful servants, they actually care about Saul's well-being. They're not plotting his assassination here. They've actually considered how to help Saul in his distress. So faithful servants, good on you guys. And But they, the Lord has provided this scenario where there's this need of comfort for this afflicted king. Verse 17, so Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Verse 18, one of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse to, and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. 
And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, Let David remain in my servant service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. So lots going on here. Okay, so we're being introduced, chapter 16 is an introduction to David. We've already learned he's this Bethlehemite, he's this uh, shepherd, he's anointed by God, he's got the spirit upon him, by the way his name is David, and then the first story we're told about this anointed king and what he does is he actually is graciously called by God to bring peace to the kingdom through ministering to the king by music. And so this introduces David as this psalm singing king. So David writes a huge portion of the book of Psalms. And so this is one of his great contributions to the people of Israel and to the church is to, as this musician who writes songs from the spirit unto the Lord. And so we're meeting him here. And this is part of David's even ministry to the people of God is to soothe their souls by hearing the word of God sung, excuse me, he ministers to the people of God still as the psalm singer of Israel. And it's fascinating that God would so appoint David, this new king, to have a gracious role to Saul you know, Saul doesn't know he's anointed king yet, so there's this kind of secrecy going on here. But David is sent to Saul to bring him peace, even though Saul is going to see him as this fierce rival. And this brings about this theme in David's life that he's going to be regularly attacked by Saul, even though David only for like a moment even lets himself be Saul's enemy for his whole life. He's going to continue to minister to Saul faithfulness and kindness, even though Saul is a terrible person to David. And we get this picture of this Christ-like king who brings grace to his enemies which is just like Jesus. All of us are a Saul to God. All of us are selfish and proud. All of us rebel against God's word, but God sends this beautiful king to come and minister grace to us and to provide comfort and peace in our afflictions. And this is how we're, we're meeting David. This David who's willing to come and be an armor bearer and to have loyalty to this fallen king. And this is just such a picture of Jesus coming to the first Adam, the first fallen man, to come and be this loyal armor bearer to fallen humanity and to come and bring the grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So anyhow, I'm toast, obviously, but I hope we can see the kindness of God in choosing David. And the, the picture of Christ in David that God has given to every believer and the church through this story. Amen.